and welcome back to State of Mind. I'm Grace Kingswell and I'm a nutritional therapist, auricular acupuncturist and breathwork coach. And this is my podcast series all about health, nutrition, lifestyle medicine, sustainability and so much more. Today I am talking to Shuan and Jonathan, the husband and wife duo behind the helm of the prestigious College of Auricular Acupuncture. I recently studied with them to become an auricular acupuncturist and I thought it would be an amazing opportunity to get them on the podcast to talk about traditional Chinese medicine and how Eastern forms of medicine such as Ayurveda and Chinese medicine can be so useful and vital in our Western world. I've been wanting to talk about Chinese medicine on this podcast for a long time, as I myself have seen a TCM doctor since about the age of 15, I think. In this episode, we discuss what meridians are, how the Chinese five element system works, whether you can really tell what's going on in someone's body just by feeling their pulse or looking at their tongue or examining their ear, and how the renowned battlefield acupuncture protocol for pain works. As ever, if you enjoyed this episode, I would really be beyond grateful if you could help me to spread the word about State of Mind by sharing the episode to your Instagram stories, subscribing via the Apple Podcasts app and writing me a rave review. So let's get into the episode. Okay, so I am here with Shuan and Jonathan. Hi, guys. Hello, lovely to be here. How are we doing? <laughs> um, and we're sitting in your treatment room at the College of Auricular Acupuncture in London. Um, as you guys will have heard from the introduction, I recently completed my auricular acupuncture training with these two and um, thought it was a perfect opportunity to discuss all things traditional Chinese medicine Um with two people that are firstly very knowledgeable and secondly um, have a very good grasp of the English language because my Chinese doctor, although amazing, <laughs> is pretty um, unintelligible. So really excited for this episode. Thank you so much for being here. I love um, that little clip. I did see a little clip of you and your Chinese doctor. It was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so I always start the podcast in the same way. So yes. Shuan, what was the last thing you did that positively impacted your health? Ooh, um... A couple of things. I'll leave one to Jonathan because um, he he got me into that one. Mine would be intermittent fasting, Mm. which I think is absolutely fantastic, or it's been absolutely fantastic for me. Um, I've been going through a very tricky menopause, um, which has been helped hugely with auricular acupuncture. Um, I know that I would have been much, much worse without it. Mm. Uh, but the intermittent fasting with the weight loss side of things and feeling good in my body has been really brilliant. Amazing. Mm. And you um, you fast for a whole day, don't you? You do kind well, of... Well, so I kind of vary it a little. I mean, there are, I did a lot of research. Um, in fact, I started my research with dry fasting, wow. funnily enough, which is... Um, Uh, a little bit more on the extreme side. I think when people first find out about fasting, um, they probably come across juice fasting or water fasting. So so I started off just doing... um, Kind of nil by mouth. Mm. So just not eating for 16 hours, hydrating, but not eating any solid foods for... 16 hours and then having an eating window of eight hours Mm. and then that changed into a 16-8 
mm-hmm. uh, because the 18, you know, the other way around, it was very easy. So I just shortened my window a little bit. And then I started experimenting with um, uh, with a 24-hour fast once a week and a three-day water fast once a month. And the reasons for that is to get the body into autophagy, mm. uh, which is a little bit like, um, what was that old game? You know, the not, not the Pac-Man, but the... Oh, yeah, Space Invaders. Space Invader, yeah, it just kind of cleans <laughs> so things up. Well, Absolutely. Probably more Pac-Man. <laughs> so it's the Space Invaders, it's a little mm. bit like that. So um, um, it really is sort of, you know, after 16 hours, it ramps up your fat burning. After about 24 hours, the autophagy begins. Um, at around 36 hours, autophagy increases by 300%. Wow. And then at 48 hours, it increases by another 30%. And then that's probably the sweet spot. Mm. So every so often, you know, once a month, I'll try and get into that, mm. um, you know, sweet spot <coughs> stage. And just in terms of, you know, hot flushes and, uh, you know, night sweats and that kind of thing, it's really helped hugely. Amazing. So that was my hot tip. Amazing. <laughs> and Jonathan, what about you? So mine would be the uh, Shaolin Qigong. Okay, oh. you're going to have to explain. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like any other Qigong, but it's actually derived from the Shaolin Temple. Mm-hmm. So there's a, um, an outfit called... Fully alive. Yeah, fully alive, mm. who offer um, classes on a weekly basis in London. And Tim, who runs the class, is um, a kung fu, sifu, um, teaching both Shaolin uh, kung fu, Shaolin tai chi and Shaolin qigong. So I can give you a link to the website so you can find out more about that. But actually that's helped because I now have a daily practice. Mm. And is that like an exercise class? It's a qigong class. So it's utilising qigong, which are sometimes standing postures and sometimes standing and moving postures. Unlike tai chi, which is a moving, kind of moving meditation. This is a more static Mm. with some movement. Mm. So primarily that. And then added to that this year with the Wim Hof um, stuff. So the breathing and cold showers. Cold showers. Nice. (laughs) Nice. All right, cool. So let's dive into all things TCM, traditional Chinese medicine. How did you both come to TCM? I think we both had um, quite similar pathways, didn't we? Um, You know, over 30 years ago, so in, you know, late teens, early 20s, um, I got into spiritual healing. And um, primarily, I think the interest stemmed from my grandparents who were hands-on healers um, in Wales. Um, And I think that that was the start for me of this whole exploration, working with energy, Mm. learning what it was all about, because it was a very natural part of my life. Um, But in order to understand it and to develop it, um, I looked into it further. I was born and brought up in the Middle East, so it wasn't until I came over to the UK um, that I found there were all kinds of courses that you could do. So my pathway started with hands-on healing, but I wanted something more academic in a way 
to pin it on to. And so that led me down the route of shiatsu, first mm -hmm. of all, um, which had its roots in macrobiotics, didn't it? When yeah, we first studied uh, shiatsu, it was macrobiotic, and then halfway through it changed to traditional Chinese medicine. So we got the... Um, uh, it didn't feel like it at the time, but we had, you know, a brilliant grounding in macrobiotics. And then we had a really good grounding in traditional Chinese medicine. So I suppose the natural extension of that, uh, you know, we went through three years of shiatsu training. Uh, and then we remained with our college as teachers when, and then when, senior teachers. And you did a year of teacher training. Yes, we did our, you know, teacher training, mm. etc. Um, and then after that, my natural progression was to go into... Uh, wanting to understand traditional Chinese medicine on a deeper level. Uh, so I went to university and did my degree in Chinese medicine and my license. Was that in China? Um, it wasn't, actually. I did my degree here in the UK, but I did spend a year... Well, I spent a few weeks in China, first of all, and then when I was there for the six weeks, I met a whole load of students from the Beijing University of Chinese Medicine and was invited to come and have a look at the university and to meet the dean. And through that meeting, I was invited to come back the following year to teach at the Beijing University of Chinese Medicine. Mm. So I had the opportunity when I was there to do further studies, to go into the hospitals and observe you know, ways of treating all kinds mm. of different conditions. So it was a fantastic year um, out there. But my, my studies were primarily here. Mm. And, and Jonathan, why do you, why have you ended up doing this today? And, and why do you think that there's actually such a growing need for people to seek out these kind of, I mean, for want of a better word, alternative therapies i mean it's it's not an alternative therapy in the sense that if if we lived in china it would be the mainstream form of medicine but here in the west um you know we have a very different health dialogue well i think um as shun said my path is very similar from um working with the nfsh the national federation of spiritualist healers going into study shiatsu from shiatsu going because of the path is um understanding Chinese medicine to be able to teach it better. Um, that led me into looking at uh, how I would study acupuncture and I had a, an eclectic mix in that I started with a college in London which doesn't exist anymore, did some training in Reading and completed my training at the Acumedic Foundation in London. Um, fortunately for me at some point in, in that scenario and I can't remember the year but in 2004, I was awarded a Winston Churchill Fellowship. The fellowship was to see how Chinese medicine was used in the treatment of cancer. And that took me to China for at least six weeks. It gave me the opportunity to go into the Guang Men Hospital and see how Chinese medicine is used alongside some Western medicine. Mm. So primarily the, the Chinese will use surgery and Western modalities for the treatment of cancer, but they'll also use herbs and acupuncture, um, between our cupping, mock combustion, and all the parts of Chinese medicine. And I think the natural extension is that in the West, what's happened is that we've become very drug-related. Mm. So most of the time when someone sees a doctor, they're looking for a prescription, they'll receive a prescription, and the prescription is quite often drugs and sometimes quite strong drugs so a big front door but also a big back door so with some of the more traditional medicine techniques the back door is smaller 
So if you're doing um, acupuncture, then sticking needles in can be a little tender, but actually the side effects are limited. Mm. That, you know, you're not affecting any of the internal organs with toxins that might be there as a result of the medications. Um, if you're then doing some body work, so some tweenar or some cupping, whilst there might be some marks from the cupping, actually the side effects are quite short-lived, whereas the benefits actually have um, a much stronger and, and bigger part to play in people's general recovery. Mm. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because it's um, it's much easier for most people to swallow a tablet because it's absolutely pain-free. And, you know, half of the time, most of the time, you don't really feel anything happening. You know, you can't feel that tablet digesting. You can't feel the potential toxins kind of moving throughout your body. <coughs> but... Um, it's a, it's a very different thing to go and let someone stick needles into you because it's a very physical sensation. And I think, you know, those pain receptors in the brain quite often feel like, hold on, this is, this is not right. What are you doing to me? Counterintuitive. <laughs> yeah. I think it's interesting. I think that people are seeking out more natural <clears throat> alternative complementary therapies and what have you because I do feel there's a move that people want to take more accountability for their health. I think it doesn't cut it anymore to go um, to the doctors and get a prescription for a medication um, that doesn't really uh, target the root cause of the problem. Mm. And I think that's why there's this huge swing now coming back to more traditional medicines, if yeah. you like. Um and some people would argue, well, you know, maybe it's the time that somebody spends with you. You know, you go to your GP and you probably have 10 minutes to talk about one symptom, whereas you go to a complementary health practitioner and you have a whole hour to tell them all about your, mm. you know, mind, body, spirit, you know, how you're feeling emotionally and psychologically, etc., about your condition. Um, uh, so... I think it's a kind of a double-edged sword. Some people don't want to have to deal. So taking a pill is great. They don't have to, you know, get in touch with emotions or feelings mm. or whatever is being suppressed. I, I don't think that you can separate um, a condition from your mind or your body or your spirit. I think it's all connected. Mm. And in a way, the way that we, the way that I work is, you know, when somebody comes to see me, what level am I working on? Am mm. I working on just a physical level or is it an emotional level or is it a spiritual level or mm. is it a combination of, you know, all, yeah, all yeah. three? I think that leads mm. me on really nicely to ask about, you know, how uh, traditional Chinese medicine works because you mentioned there that it is kind of, or the way you work certainly is, an, is very much an integration between mind, body, spirit. Um, for those that are listening that perhaps um, aren't, uh, you know, that much up to speed with traditional Chinese medicine, what are the kind of, I mean, if you can simplify it, the sort of overarching principles and maybe... A nice point to start with would be um, explaining what meridians are uh, within the body and, and how those work and how you use the meridians to affect change within the body. I like to think of meridians as a crystalline matrix. Uh, that might sound very poetic or flowery for some people, but actually there have been quite a lot of... Um, uh, studies that have been done to see whether meridians actually exist. And uh, there was one study, I think, that was done on um, cadavers, where they were able to show 
um, a fascial connection because the idea, uh, most people's ideas of meridians are these kind of tubes, mm. uh, a little bit like, you know, maybe a blood vessel. Yeah, because that's uh, how that you see runs through. illustrated on, Absolutely. A, yeah, on the human body. Absolutely. Um, whereas I, I look at it more like a crystalline matrix within the body. Um, and because I believe in energy and energy work and all the rest of it, um, I feel that this has, you know, a connection with um, uh, the higher uh, vortexes of energy. Mm. Uh, and the uh, acupuncture points are like these vortexes of energy within the meridian system. Um, there is a beautiful, another beautiful study that was done by a Chinese team. They demonstrated that there was something called coherent, can you explain it better, something of the co coherent water. There was a way that um, when the body was stimulated or when the meridian was stimulated with an acupuncture needle, that it had, uh, was it coherent? So basically, the, if we're looking at um, the meridians and there's a, a theory that meridians are based on the level between the skin and fascia, mm. which in essence, might be connected to the triple water, triple heater meridian in the body. <clears throat> and there is a strong connection there. Um, and we need fluid all over the body. Now, what we know is that the molecules of water are chaotic. Mm. However, at that level, you also have collagen. When water comes up against collagen, it becomes ordered, and is, is termed as ordered water. Mm -hmm. Ordered water becomes semi-crystalline. So the the theory is that this semi crystalline ordered water is the meridian pathway right which is more direct and i tend to think of it a bit more like bluetooth mm. or um, fiber optics where if you're working with the body and the central nervous system you've got a chemical exchange and therefore very quick but a slight delay Whereas with the um, the meridians, you've got a direct crystalline connection mm. and therefore no break in the information. Mm. So it's it's kind of Bluetooth. So if you think of the needle, the needle's going through the skin and it's going into the fascia. So it's a bit like an antenna picking up the information of the external world mm -hmm. and transmitting it through to the internal world to create balance and harmony. Mm -hmm. And of course, there are 12 meridians in the body and each of the meridians is associated with an organ. Mm. So there's um, so there's a specific pathway, if you like, that each organ in the body um, uh, has uh, on its route uh, yeah. throughout the body. So there are different parts of the body that it will govern. Uh, so, but I mean, it's interesting because in lots of different traditions, in Tibetan traditions, Ayurvedic traditions, uh, you know, Chinese medicine traditions, and what have you, they all talk about these lines of energy in the yeah, body. Yeah. And this is going back, you know, if you talk about Ayurveda, um, and even, you know, um, you know, what are we going back five thousand BC? Mm. Well, the planet has uh, meridians. Yeah, ley lines. Called ley lines. Yeah. So, so it's. There's, there's a correlation between the, the planet that we live on and we inhabit and us on it and, and are we a reflection of the planet and the universe. Mm. So, um, you know, it's it kind of we must have some sort of energetic system. Mm. So if you think about, you know, most cathedrals and what have you are <coughs> built on on particularly potent areas, if you think of standing stones like yeah. Stonehenge and what have you, yeah. you know, usually are on very potent uh 
energy sites. Acupuncture points, if you like. Yeah. <laughs> so And just think of the latitudinal and longitudinal lines yeah, yeah, of the yeah. globe and you know, you can make all kinds of associations. Yeah, it's I mean it's it's fascinating because I I always yeah, thought that meridians were kind of um energy pathways. But um on a very physical and kind of basic level, um when one particular system in your body is kind of out of whack in my experience anyway i've found that that um the corresponding um acupuncture or acupressure point on the surface of the skin is incredibly painful um so you can kind of see it working and i always say to patients um you know if you press quite hard on the on the top of your foot does it really hurt and for most people the answer is yes because we've all got some sort of liver pathology these days but i wanted to ask you guys about and i thought it might be quite nice to kind of talk about how western medicine and chinese medicine might treat a similar problem um so if we take something that's quite common these days like um gut symptoms for example or sort of digestive complaint how would you approach that in um, a Chinese medicine um, point of view? What would you be looking at and what kind of underlying factors would be there? Yeah, well, this is what I love. I mean, because there are four distinct, um, there are four distinct areas that we look at in Chinese medicine. Um, and that's uh, the, first of all, the inspection um, of somebody's, well, first of all, there are signs and symptoms. Mm. So we're looking at the signs and symptoms. We're seeing, you know, where that imbalance is within the body. Uh, we're doing the inspection of the face, how they sound, how they look. Um, we've got the palpation where we're feeling the pulse and the tonality and the quality, mm. not only of the pulse, but also of the skin and the flesh and the muscles. Mm. Um, and the tongue as well, uh, do you use? Yes. So, and that's the, the looking observation, if you like, where we look at the tongue. So, for example, at the back of the tongue, you've got your kidney, bladder and intestines. In the middle, you have your stomach and uh, spleen. On the sides, you have the liver and gallbladder. At the front, you have the lungs and at the tip, the heart. So when we're looking at the tongue, we'll look at the um, shape and the body. We'll see if it's dry or wet, if it's uh, pale or pink or red or purple. Uh, that gives us all kinds of different information. It's a little bit like a watercolour. We have um, all our signs and symptoms, all the things that we're observing, inspecting, asking about, um, and building up a picture because our medical history doesn't change. Mm. So everything up until this point that we're taking the snapshot, we can see how it's manifested. Mm. And then we have the opportunity when we come for treatment to create an intervention for change. Um, so I think in, in many ways for me, it's about looking at the, the totality of a person, not just the headache, mm. not just the, the stomach ache, not just, you know, whatever the symptom is, but looking at everything, looking at lifestyle, looking at diet, looking at the um, emotional background, looking at, um, you know, bowel movements, looking mm. at, you know, energy levels, looking at sleep patterns, you know, all these different circadian rhythms and organ rhythms and what have you. And all of that gives us a really good um, and pretty complete picture of what we might be working with. Mm. And then with that, and with our training, with our intuition and everything else that we have at our fingertips, we do a differential diagnosis of how this might have been caused and what the 
probable trajectory would be if there was no intervention. Mm. Um, and, you know, with our knowledge, we have, you know, appropriate, we'll put together appropriate points because every point on the body, every acupuncture point has a very specific reaction within the body and the pool of points you use or the or or the protocol if you like that you use has a synergistic effect on the body yeah and and a point to create a response yeah and and just to jump in there the point that you might needle um it wouldn't necessarily you know going back to the kind of gut problem stomach um complaints it wouldn't necessarily be the stomach point would it you might be and and that's kind of the difference between um the traditional Chinese medicine acupuncture approach, which is where you might be looking at um, spleen or um, liver or kidneys to influence, you know, digestive complaints, and maybe a more um, Western interpretation of that, which is, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but just needling a point that's been given out as a symptom, like, oh, I, you know, I, I struggle with stomach stuff, I'll put a needle in the stomach point. No, because you need to really understand how the problem has been caused. So is it, you know, is the root cause from the stomach mm-hmm. or is it from somewhere else? And that's yeah. what we determine through the differential diagnosis. Yeah. So is there something you wanted to add oh, to that? All else, it's in essence not vastly different to seeing the doctor. When you go to the doctor, the doctor says, so what's the problem? And actually you tell the doctor what the problem is. Yeah. What the doctor's doing is going, okay, what pills can I give you? to stop this irritable bowel because he goes oh that's irritable bowel or it's diarrhea or it's constipation or it's mm. so he's looking at a medication that fits into either the large intestine or something to do with the, the gi tract whereas the chinese doctor is looking at you as an individual with the presenting signs and symptoms that you know is like well what's the constipation like and when did it start what's happening you know there's there's a bit more questioning around what's happening mm. now in essence, what that leads into is understanding or having some comprehension of the five elements, yes, which is part ask. of Chinese medicine. So it leads into another theory, which is actually based on um, in well observing the environment. So there are five individual elements or um, periods of time, which relate to the seasons. Mm-hmm. Now. Commonly, people tend to get their colds in the cold season, so in the winter. Um, certain conditions are more prevalent in springtime. Some are more prevalent in summertime, in autumn time. So each of those elements has a relationship to both the meridian system, to the organs and structures in the body, and the flow of the season and how things operate in our environment. Mm-hmm. because we are enacting with our environment so we work together if if that's out of balance then things go out of balance in the body mm. the signs and symptoms show us where those imbalances are if we understand those signs and symptoms mm. can you talk us through one of the five elements and how all the categories within it kind of link together so if you took for example the water element because we're kind of coming towards the end if you if you notice what's happening with our environment over the last few days, we've had some sunnier days where it's been cold but bright. So we're heading towards spring. So we're coming out of winter, mm-hmm. which is the water element. Now, in water, we have two organs that are the organs represented as the winter, which are the kidneys and the bladder. So the colour 
of that is dark blue or black. The the taste that's associated with it is salty. So, you know, if someone has a pre preference for more salty type flavours, it, it potentially either shows that there's a balance or an imbalance yeah. in that associated area. And we'd be going, ah, that could be related to the the water element along with the emotions and the emotion of water is fear. So you have lots of things that you can ask your client about. If someone has a, a health condition, there may be some fear because they don't know where it's going or what to do about it. Also, some of the associations with um, uh, the the water element, the kidneys, for example, would be lower back pain, you know, on a physical level. So lower back pain, problems with your knees, um, anything to do, you know, any of your osteoarthritis, anything to do with the bones, mm -hmm. uh, things central deep within system. the body, your central nervous system, um, that kind of low level um, fight or flight yeah. uh, that we often live in when we're on the tube every day with yeah. millions of other people. So we're in this kind of low level uh, low-grade fight-or-flight. So that kind of leads to things like adrenal exhaustion and what have you, premature graying of the hair, any kind of um, develop developmental problems and what have you would all be associated with water element mm. and kidney, kidney bladder. Yeah, yeah. Kidney bladder. So, so, so you have that, um, that one element and there are, of course, there are four others and they all fit together in a harmonious pattern. So one is generating the other as a generating cycle of flow. And if, if we can pinpoint where the flow is broken, so as they would say in um, Chinese medicine, if the child screams, treat the mother. Right. So if we are saying, ah, we have some signs and symptoms that show there's an imbalance in water, we'd possibly treat either metal or earth mm -hmm. because, because the, earth they're the preceding... Before elements and therefore they can harmonize what's going on in the water element mm. and and so there is a break in that nice pattern i kind of liken it to you know the five elements you know we've all we all have the five elements obviously within us but it's a little bit like a kaleidoscope each of us will have our own pattern and uh uh, a little bit like that kaleidoscope you know we have all however many pieces of colored glass or card or whatever it is that's in a kaleidoscope and one slight intervention one slight change can change the whole picture and that's a little bit like how I see Chinese medicine working um, that people come for a particular intervention and it doesn't you don't have to change uh, you know it can be very overwhelming when you're working with a particular condition with all the different advice you know that's out there about supplements and diet and you know all, all the different things that it can be very overwhelming to think oh my god you know there's just so much that I have to do to get well mm -hmm. but in fact if you just strip it back to simplicity you know one and look for the one change just one thing to focus on not too many, then like that kaleidoscope, that one change can change the whole picture. Amazing. And let's talk quickly about microsystems of acupuncture. Now, um, auricular acupuncture is a microsystem. It is. Um, and the idea behind that is that you can access all of the parts of the body through just one small part, um, which is the ear. Is it the same as um, sort of reflexology, how you're using the foot as kind of your map 
for the body. And then second question, um, you guys are obviously trained, fully trained um, traditional Chinese medicine acupuncturists, but I know you have a preference for mainly just using the microsystem of the ear. Would you be able to explain why? Okay. Well, I think when we look at a microsystem, we need to think of it as a hologram. So literally, the body as a hologram, any small aspect of the body can actually show the whole body. So there are many microsystems in the body. The foot, as you mentioned, through reflexology. You'd have abdominal acupuncture, so the whole abdomen can reflect the entire body. The face can reflect the whole body, and the hands. Mm. So there are several different types of microsystems of acupuncture, but the most common and most well-known is auricular. Partly, I think, because it's the easiest to access. Mm. You don't have to undress. Fortunately, ears are generally <laughs> on show, so people don't have to come in and strip <laughs> off their clothes to get to your feet, or suddenly you've got things all over your hands and you can't do anything. Um, but also because the ear is um, a magic bit of tissue in the fact that it has three types of nerves that innervate across it. So you have the tragus nerve, the trigeminal nerve, and a T4 nerve. But along with that, you have three tissue types. So you have the mesoderm, the endoderm, and the ectoderm. So the possibility from the ear is as you are treating, you're treating on both a nerve level by stimulation for the innervation of the nerves across the ear, but also in resonance with the tissue types. So the variety of tissue in the body are made up of the different um, dermal tissues. They have different frequencies. And, and therefore, when you put a needle in, if you're working on the mesoderm area, all the areas of mesoderm in the body will resonate at the same level, which can give you a really strong and almost instant response to treatment. Mm. And, and that's one of its powers, which is why I guess it's the, the most well-known and most widespread. Mm. Can can you really, I mean, it's sort of a, um, what's the word? I'm sort of asking to be annoying because I sort of know the answer. But can you really tell what's going on in someone's body just by looking at their ear? So I know a lot of um, the training that we did when um, I did my course with you guys was learning to actually look at the ear and do a kind of diagnosis just by seeing you know areas of redness or lumps and bumps and you know how how for someone that's sort of um slightly disbelieving um you know can we really assess someone's health just by looking at their ear i think the assess maybe um we, we can't necessarily assess what's happening what the ear can do is lead us into questioning so if the ear is reflecting what's happening in the body, then things that are happening on the ear are a reflection of what's happening in the body. So it can lead our questioning into an area. What we do know, however, is if someone has pain, that the area represented on the ear reflecting that pain will be tender on palpation. Mm. Now that's a bit odd because how does the ear know that there's a problem in the body? So there is some feedback system that's allowing the ear to represent that part of the body now if we're talking about marks lumps bumps creases historically um, people have seen certain lines and certain western doctors certainly uh, dr franks um, who named what's called a frank's line 
Now, Frank's line is indicative of circulatory problems, generally. And he was a Western doctor. He was not um, a doctor of Chinese medicine or anything else. So most Western doctors would actually see that line and go, ah, is there a problem? Mm. Whether that's how early that is on their training and they're doing other things, so they're not looking that way. But it's the pathology on the ear leads us to question what is happening on the body. So again, that brings us back to Chinese medicine and Chinese philosophy, really, that anything coming out of the body can tell you about what's happening inside the body. Mm. So any areas on the external uh, landscape... So if you look to your palms, etc., etc., by reading the palms and seeing dis- dif- areas of discoloration or things like that, you can see that is there a problem in that area, which leads you to ask a question. And if the client says, oh, yeah, this happened or this has been in the family, it doesn't mean that it's a problem, but it's an area of questioning mm. to elicit information. Mm. And it's interesting because if you look at auricular... <laughs> auricular acupuncture, auricular medicine, auricular therapy... Um, in many, many parts of the world, uh, there are the majority of we- uh, Western medically trained doctors who are using auricular acupuncture. Um, and uh, there, there are many, 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 many papers that have been published on all sorts of different conditions and how they've come to those conclusions through observation of the ear, mm. observation and treatment. Mm. And one of those things, am I right in thinking, is the um, battlefield protocol? Would you be able to explain that briefly? Mm-hmm. Well, battlefield acupuncture was developed um, quite recently, really, within the last 10, 15 years by a Colonel Nim Chow, who was based at Andrews Air Force Base. He was, um, he's a doctor, and he had worked in the medical um, hospital there, initially worked in the facial maxillary unit and had developed a variety of protocols for dry mouth syndrome. Um, with several needles, people that had suffered dry mouth for a an extended period of time into years, he'd needled. Within ten minutes, they were resalivating. Mm. So it set him up to go. I need to do some research here. So he's done a, a number of different research um, investigations, looking at different points and um, how they work and what they do with lights and different stimulation. And that led him to develop a a specific five-point protocol, which is primarily used as pain relief. So initially it was trained into the special forces, so that someone going into a conflict situation, anyone being injured, traditionally would be given an opiate-based pain relief. Once the opiates um, administered, the medical individual would have to stay with that casualty because the opiate can affect respiration and cause other problems. So he developed this protocol which gets rid of the pain almost instantly and they found that recovery of injuries was quicker, there was less need for pain relief, there was um, just a, a general well-beingness that happened and it was a lot cheaper uh, it meant that we didn't have to carry lots of drugs and other things. S- to the extent that now there are a number of hospitals, particularly one in Australia, that are using that protocol in the emergency room when casualties come in to get people out of pain 
without any intervention of drugs. So any uh, medical procedures that need to be done or any blood tests will only show up the natural chemicals in the bloodstream, no no additional opiate-based pain relief or anything like that. So it's a, a protocol that's recent. Um, it, it must have some effect because the American military wouldn't spend five million on research, I wouldn't have thought, mm. if it wasn't something that actually they were going to put into action. Yeah, yeah. And it is used now across NATO and a variety of other... And I think, realistically, it probably has some benefit in um, in the use with um, people like the Red Cross or um, people attending disaster situations or areas of conflict as a very quick and easy intervention. Yeah, amazing. Um, wow, well, we've covered quite a lot. Um, oh, there's so much more to say. I know, there, there really is. Um, definitely, if anyone's listening and has questions, please send them in because um, the three of us could talk about this all day. Um, I must end in the same way that I do with all my podcast guests in asking you three simple or not so simple questions. Um, Shuan, what's one thing in life you would do again if you could? Oh, gosh. That's a hard one. <laughs> what would I do again? Maybe I haven't got there yet. <laughs> okay, that's a good answer. I can't think of what I would do again. Or, I mean... To Give me ask... some inspiration. What well, would be your thing? Yeah, but no one's ever asked me. I don't know. Probably some... Um, I would actually like to go back and do university again because I loved it so much but I spent too much of my time worrying about mm, mm. the work and I think I could have got a lot more out of it if I'd Gosh, worry is such a killer it is it? and at this stage in my life I'm quite good at you know I have certain stress managing techniques and this that and the other and I think if I'd known those at the time mm. um that would have been great just to be happy yes that's exactly. all we want isn't it exactly. everybody just wants to be happy mm. and live their life well mm. okay so how about this what's one thing you would change if you could it could be to do with your life or it could be the world at large well, uh, for me, um, I would like to see the use of more traditional medicines coming into mainstream medicine. Mm. Um, Very on yeah. brand, Jonathan. So that, that <laughs> more integration. Actually, it, it's much more that it would save the health authorities, whichever world country they happen to be in, a huge amount of money. Mm. Um, and I think that we would actually be able to treat more people more often for better outcomes mm. without without the use of drugs and therefore upsetting the internal landscape of the body mm, yeah yeah i think also just the way um you know the way we inspire people i think that we're um quite a sick world at the moment um or maybe it's just sort of uh, the experience of the western world at the moment um you know just to get back to the that Getting people back to a sense of empowerment, getting people back to a sense of, you know, feeling whole and feeling, uh, rather than being in that fear space, being more in, you know, I don't want to sound too woo-woo, but, you know, mm. just to really, really be in that. There are only two things, love and fear, and to be more in that um, <coughs> feeling of possibility. Mm. And I think what I loved about your the name of your podcast, State of Mind, 
I think it's a wonderful, wonderful name because our state of mind literally brings our world into existence. Mm. And uh, that connects with, you know, how we're working with each other to be self-empowered mm. is to, to bring us back to a better state of mind because if we are bringing our world into our existence um, then it needs to be coming from a uh, you're going to cough then it needs to be coming <laughs> from that. Poor, Sorry, Jonathan. poor Jonathan <laughs> recovering from his lurgy um, but it can literally make us or break us yeah yeah and and finally Jonathan what does state of mind mean to you well I think um a state of mind is is how we view ourselves in the world. So we can create what we like, whichever state we'd like. So we're influenced largely by so much media today, sometimes in a more negative way. And I think people are striving to come back to community. And yeah. social media Connection. can mm. actually be a real t helpful tool in bringing community together, whether that's the community of people that cook together, people that grow food together, people that work in healthcare together. But I think we, we've been isolated and therefore we have an isolated state of mind mm. and actually people are all striving to come back to community and community state of mind. So it's a, we are what we create yeah. in our mind quite commonly. I couldn't agree with you more. What a lovely sentiment to end on. Thank you both so much for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. It was a total privilege and a pleasure. Thanks for allowing us. Thank you so much again for tuning in to State of Mind. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Shuin and Jonathan. And if you do have any questions about acupuncture or Chinese medicine in general, don't be afraid to slide into my DMs or send me an email at hello at gracekingswell.com. I'll see you again next week for a brand new episode. Bye-bye.